You're listening to Two Guys Talking Wine with Michael Pincus and Andre Prue. Hello, Michael. Andre, how the hell are you? I'm good. I'm really good. I'm I'm so done with winter. We're recording this on January 24th. And uh, getting another 10 centimeters here in Niagara. Yeah, it snowed again. It snowed again in in uh, in Hamilton. Richard's on. Richard, how did it snow in Toronto, or did it? Uh, it's still snowing today. And uh, so, why don't you tell people who this Richard person is who just kind of suddenly <laughs> popped on the podcast? Yeah, you would think after 20 years of radio, I'd remember simple formatics like introduce your guests before throwing to him. Uh, a, a few episodes ago, we put a call to action in the podcast saying that you and I don't really understand who the consumer is for orange wine. You and I have been quite vocal that we're not really a fan or, of the style, right? Or why there would be a consumer at all, but go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Richard Beatty, who uh, is on Instagram as Wine for the People, uh, jumped at the opportunity to um, to talk to us about the podcast, was good enough to purchase and source. Uh, we tasted two orange wines to um, in, in, in terms of research for the podcast, which actually resulted in um, a phone call from you, Michael. What's the best way to describe the phone call? Well, first of all, I, I want to, since we're, you can think about what you want to say here, and I'm going to just quickly uh, turn to Richard and ask him, where does this wine for the people come from? Oh, that's a great question. Yeah, so I'm not in the wine industry, as Andre had asked me when we met. Uh, it's just kind of a personal passion of mine. I kind of became the de facto wine person in my social circle, and uh, people were always asking me for recommendations. So I decided that uh, I'd put it on Instagram, start doing recommendations through the Wine for the People account. Okay, all right. Andre, you were about to say. Uh I think it was an annoyed phone call or angry phone call. I don't know. We, I guess we'll get into because because we did taste the two wines for this. Um, you know, I actually think let, let us let's unpack a little bit more of, of Richard's background before we put uh, orange wine on trial yet again. Uh, Richard, like, what got you into wine? Honestly, I had uh, my first aha moment um, at a dinner for my graduation for undergrad. And uh, I tried a, a Primitivo from Puglia for the first time. It was just, there's so much depth of character to it. And I was like, wow, this is incredible. I didn't realize that, you know, wine had so much to offer. And then my second uh, major aha moment was um, in Porto, uh, drinking some vintage port. And I had a 1985 Copca that absolutely blew my mind. So uh, that really got me into the deep dive of the wine world. And uh, before we get into orange wine, which is the reason why we... And, we have and that sounds like he did start with some actual decent wine. I want to point that out, <laughs> that he started with good wine. Somehow, he has gone down the rabbit hole of garbage. But anyway... Okay, I'm Michael, to... Michael, come on. Come on, be, be, be respectful. <laughs> Any, anyways... Primitivo, port, <laughs> R R Richard, good wine. So Richard, what what are you what are you normally drinking on a day to day? Honestly, I drink all sorts of wine. I don't have one specific style. Um, I do focus more on the low intervention, natural, organic, biodynamic, 
sustainable, whatever buzzword you want um, to encompass that style of wine. I'd say that's kind of uh, my main focus. But, you know, I drink the gamut. All right. And how often are you drinking? Did you say he drinks the gamut or he drinks the gamay? Oh, I love gamay. <laughs> All right. Beaujolais is definitely one of my favorite regions. Good man. And definitely Good a man. lot of... A lot of... Still on, he, I'm on his side still. I'm on his side still. Well, the thing about 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 Beaujolais as well is if we're talking about like natural and lower intervention producers, I think the lines the lines are a little bit more blurred in terms of what makes a high quality bottle. I think you have a lot more low intervention wine from Beaujolais that would have mass appeal than you do in a lot of other regions. But uh, I mean, Richard, you can correct me if I'm wrong. I'm guessing you're drinking a lot more low intervention wine than than I am, and it's also something that's um, uh, a challenge to define for a lot of people. Yeah. I mean, even Skin Contact or Orange Wine has a lot of debates about naming conventions, etc. So it, it does have a, a wide variety within those labels. Some are obviously de defined by um, certification boards, you know, whether it's organic or biodynamic. But uh, even still, a lot of people will farm that way, even though they don't have the certification because they don't have to, you know, pay the cost of getting that certification. I was waiting for You're Michael. Waiting for me to talk? Or, yeah, I was or, waiting for you, Michael. What? I was waiting for you to throw, uh, to, to, to add some sarcasm there. No, 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 no. I've, I've got, I've got some smart sarcasm for this classroom, but, uh, I'm, 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 I'm waiting for, uh, the, uh, the fine, I don't know if we're debating this or just, I, I guess Richard and I'm, I'm, Look, I apologize before we got on air, but when at 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 what point did you start hating your mouth and said I got to get into orange wine? You know, you didn't you didn't have to add the the first the, like the back part of that, Michael. You could have just asked when did he discover orange wine, but Michael, for for such a wine guy, it's interesting that you think uh, palates are such a monolith. <laughs> no, I, I'm just saying I I tried the two wines that that we uh, that we tried. And uh, I didn't just try them on my own. I actually, I, I actually did it with with my wife, and uh, who is a white wine fan. Like she is one hundred percent white, not just in her her, in her skin color, but she is one hundred percent white American. Uh, you know, she will not drink red. I've I've got her once. I had her have a glass of Pinot, and I think I have a picture of her with a, a glass of Cabernet Franc. But she is white down the road. She wants nothing but white wine. And uh, the uh, Andre, are we going to talk about the wines we tried, or, or no? What's I the, think you know what I think. Deal? Let's let's um, let's unpack. Like, like I said, we wanted to know who the consumer is and get into the mind of the consumer of orange wine. And Richard is the consumer, so let's let Richard answer the answer the question. Like, what got you into orange wine? Honestly, one of the first wines that got me to orange wine was also one of the first wines that really got me into Ontario wine. And that was uh, a 2016 Gordstraminer from Trail Estate uh, made by Mackenzie Brisebois. And absolutely incredible vintage for, for Gortz. You know, you know, big lychee bomb. Uh, I believe that was from the Wurtz Vineyard in Four Mile Creek. That's where they got the fruit from. Made uh, in Prince Edward County, of course, the Trail Estate. Uh, and yeah, that was really kind of 
that helped me go down the path of uh, a lot of the Ontario wineries because I thought a lot of the stuff coming out of Ontario wasn't that interesting. And when I tried that, I was really blown away. So, um, yeah, orange wine was actually a gateway to a lot of Ontario wines. Interesting. And, and I mean, I guess up to this point, then you were drinking more, even if you, even, even if you were drinking lower intervention, you're still dealing with wines made in a little bit more conventional way. Like even if we're talking about like Beaujolais, things like La Pierre, like a La Pierre Gamay tastes like Gamay. You, you, you can tell instantly that it's Gamay. Yeah. It's not the same as like a, a, a Beaujolais village or, or regular Beaujolais, but you know, you can tell that it is what it is. What, like what, what was the experience like when you when you put that glass in your face? <laughs> I think it's just uh, the complexity that that skin contact offers. You know the the tannic structure, the mouthfeel, uh, just the, the aromatics. Um, and you yeah. want, and you want that in white wine? Well, it's not white wine. It is white wine, but it's not white wine. It is white wine. I'm going to argue with There's you on that. The makes white wine. I don't care. You can put food coloring in it and make it red, but it is white wine. I mean, it's made from white grapes. Correct. And but, it is white wine. But I mean, though, the VQA has its own designation for skin fermented wine. So, well, and we could even argue too. Like, converts to me to the grapes aren't white. White. Those are one of the. That's one of the grapes that you end up with the more pinkish berries, right? That's true. And pink grapes is in quotation here, but yeah, pink grapes is also would, would be considered. So my, my next question is how long have you have you had extended contact orange wine, let's call it that? Or is it light skin contacted orange wine? Because there really is no definition for uh, orange wine. As far as I can figure, there is no yeah. length no, of time. There's no clear definition. In the VQA it needs to be a minimum of ten days. Uh, but globally, yeah, you'll find orange wines from a few hours to correct, correct. which I don't, which I don't consider. Like I remember going to an Abruzzo tasting, and the the lady hands me this Pinot Gris. It's got a little bit of pink color to it, and she goes, "Oh, it's an orange wine." And I tasted it, and I go, "Wow, this is fresh and lively. This is really nice. How long on skin?" She goes, "Oh, well, really, it's not a pure orange wine." She says it was only on skins for three hours, so. You know, no wonder it had that purity of, of fruit, and and I and I like I like Pinot Gris when it has a little bit of skin contact because it does give it a little bit more oomph. But Do you I like the like, Romano style from uh, the, Italy. You know, the Pinot Grigio style that they're yeah. starting to get that pink mm-hmm. kind of color to it. I find those wines to be really uh, exciting, especially because Pinot Gris is so boring. <laughs> so. Um, when you can add something to Pinot Gris, such as barrel, such as, and limited, like you can't over oak Pinot Gris. Well, you can do whatever you want, but if you over oak Pinot Gris, it ends up just tasting like Chardonnay. Thank you very much on that one. Uh, I can see Andre wanting to give me the finger right over the camera. I can't believe you guys have cameras on. Um, (laughs) but, um, uh, and I think I think Pinot Gris needs a little bit of skin contact to give it something other than blah. But Gewurztraminer on its own has a lot of, you know, jazzy characteristics that, that you get. Chardonnay can, you know, uh, is already manipulated enough. You don't have to throw a lot of skin contact on it. Uh, Riesling 
same thing. You know, if you're a Riesling purist, you're not looking for a lot of skin contact on your on your Riesling. You want that purity of fruit. You want that minerality. You want that subtle sweetness if it's going to be there, or you want that acidity. So what made you decide that I got to get away from that kind of thing and get into that, this? Well, you're acting as if I don't drink all those other styles of wine as well. <laughs> I, I'm just open to, to any style, really. I, I found one of the limitations that I had when I started out in my wine journey was saying, I don't like X. I don't like this. I don't like that. You know, I don't really like Ontario wine. Well, you know what? That really limited me because there's some fantastic Ontario wines, as you both know. You've both been uh, reviewing for many years. Uh, and so I don't have that limitation of, oh, I won't drink this and I won't drink that. I, I like it all. I just also really enjoy this style. I find it really interesting. Um, there's a lot of different like styles within skin, skin contact orange wines. Uh, different vessels. You know, Some are stainless steel. Some are using that traditional clay amphora, the quavery from Georgia. You know, I mean, that's thousands of years old, that style of winemaking. And it's obviously a little more intense, usually a little bit longer on the skins. You're going to get that darker amber flavor or color, sorry, um, on the on the wine. Uh, but yeah, I'm not limited to having that, those other styles of Chardonnay or Riesling, or in this case, uh, the one we're drinking is Viognier. Uh, Chardonnay and Marsan. The Therianthropy. That's uh, the Therianthropy. We'll, 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 we'll get into the we'll get into the wines that we that we tasted and what our impressions were. But uh, I, I think one question that, that I've got for you is like even being even being curious because I know for myself, like especially with wine and food, I'm someone when, where I do enjoy eating and drinking first and asking questions later. But one thing I haven't been able to get past with the skin contact wines that I've, I've tasted and granted I haven't tasted a lot lot of them but I, I try to taste as many as I can just in case I find the one that I enjoy but it's it's I find they usually have a very strong bitter note that comes with the tannins on the finish and it's like you know whether it's a Gewurztraminer or a Riesling or a Skin Contact Chardonnay, you know you get a lot of the good that goes with the grapes, but when that that tannin and the bitter note comes back, it just clobbers everything that I would have enjoyed about the flavor of the wine. Like for for you, when you tasted that that Gewurztraminer from Trail Estate, was it like love at first taste? Or was it an acquired taste for you where it, it took you a bit to get used to the fact that this is a non-conventional way of making and, and enjoying Gewurztraminer? It was love at first smell, to be honest. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, once I stuck my nose in the glass, I was like, what is this? And then, yeah, after that taste, uh, I just think it adds a little complexity to it. Again, it's not like I wouldn't want a traditional Gewurztraminer whether it's Alsatian or Ontario. Um, but, yeah, I mean, especially what Mackenzie's doing at Trail State, like, there's a, they have a lot of skin contact uh, examples, and she makes incredible wine uh, from them. Uh, like, I like that tannic structure. I also like funk, you know? I'm not afraid of bread anomalous. I'm not running away from what people would see as flaws in, in certain wines. Um so I just have a palate that I guess is a little more open. <laughs> so, um, 
Are you a beer drinker, Richard? Yes. Yes, okay. I am. All right. All right. This is starting and to come clear. I used to live in Brussels, Belgium, so uh, we drank a lot of those. Uh, truth, no. Okay. Andre, you got no. I want to. I want to know why you asked the the beer drinker question. Like, there's clear, clearly there's some sort of correlation. Michael, w w connect connect some dots for me and connect some dots for the listeners. So we, oh, I, I don't. Um, we haven't talked about the wines yet, but one of the wines we did try, and and in, and I got one other one more question for Richard, and then I'll I'll tie in the beer question here. Um, Richard, could could you sit down in a night and finish a whole bottle? Of skin fermented white. Yes. Okay. Well, he's 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 a bigger man than I am because I barely get through <laughs> a half glass. Um, well, I mean, but so I mean we, that's a, that's a thing. I think that's a thing you and I have have both said in the past. And um, uh, I've talked to another wine writer, and I don't want to throw him under the bus because I don't know if the conversation was done in in confidence. But he's a very well known and also a very open palated guy that uh i have a ton of that i think michael and I, you and i both respect greatly where i i asked him what he thought about the style uh and he said that he's never found one that would make him want a second glass and i i, I and that's, i'm that's i am in that camp i'm in that camp as well so let's talk about the wines that we tasted i guess so well uh, so i'm gonna now tie in that beer oh, right. question that i had for richard so one of the wines that we tried was a Leaning Post Sauvignon Blanc. Now uh, the 2021. Uh, Andre, you want to you want to give me some um, um, uh, some context of how long on skins and everything that wine was, the uh, year of it and all that. Uh, I know it was a 2021. All I know in the moment when when Nadia Nadia Sentrak of Leaning Post prepared the bottle specifically for us. If you take a look at the artwork for this podcast on SoundCloud or on on the website. Uh, uh, on our websites um it says like right on it there is a some nice personalized message for our palettes only for the podcast um all i know that nadia said was it was less time on skins than the 2020 version um i know that as with i think all of Ilya's wines balance is very important and it's just working to strike some some balance in it it's made with sauvignon blanc 2021 was a challenging vintage for sure um yes. And that's about all the information that I I have on it. And I mean, okay. I I'm more just wanted to go in, like I said, blind. It, it didn't, it didn't. Yeah, but I, well, so I'll, it, follow, it, I'll follow up with to them me, to find out. Actually, let's see if I can. To find me, it, right now. it it had Sauvignon Blanc taste. I could tell that it was so Blanc. Uh, I got a little bit of you know the the typical grapefruit notes, but I also got a little bit of paint thinner, which was not you know or an open can of paint, which I was not too thrilled with. My wife said she got beer hops off of it. Oh, interesting. Which, yeah, so she was uh, like, oh, and she's, uh, one of her quotes was, I would have drank that in 1988 when she was, you know, fully into beer and, and drinking like, you know, Bush Light and, you know, Milwaukee's Best. I... So that's that's what reminded her, her of it. And um, as I said, I, I got Sauvignon Blanc character. Um, but again, I, I, you know, I, I literally did, Sip, sip it over the sink and, and most of it saw the sink uh, I, I did swallow a few trying to figure out why if ever I'd want to drink another glass of it and I couldn't um, I drank I drank an entire glass and I actually I enjoyed it um, 
I found that that bitter note that I was asking you that asking you about Richard was more subdued. Like it, it wasn't as obvious as it was in a lot of the other skin contact wines that are made in Ontario, especially in Ontario, where I find the finish to be quite harsh. This one, the finish was a little bit softer. The thing that came to me, though, is just knowing that Ilya makes a really great, more conventional Sauvignon Blanc. And I tasted with with my wife as well. The question that came down to me was, would I rather be drinking this or the other Sauvignon Blanc if I can only choose one? And I'd rather buy two bottles of the regular Sauvignon Blanc than even one and one. Just because for me and what I enjoy, it was that much better of a wine. But I didn't put any of my sample of the leaning posts down the, the sink. I just don't know if I wanted a second glass after it. So Richard, let's throw it to you. What do you think about the wine? Let's give it get us get us a tasting note. Honestly, I think it's quite good. Uh, it's got a nice bright acidity on the finish, so that you don't have that that bitterness that you were talking about. Uh, nice citrus notes, almost like a there's like a sweetness like you get like from the syrup of like canned fruit, like canned pears. Got got that kind of a little bit of hint of that as well. Kind of balance out that uh, high acidity. I, I I didn't mention before, but like for me, it was very um, it was passion fruit. Like it was very very passion fruit, like fresh passion fruit, and very intense on the on the mid palate as well. Yeah, definitely a lot of tropical fruit, which is typical of the the varietal, right? Yes. But not always typical from Ontario. Not always typical in a in a cool vintage where Sauvignon Blanc can really skew more more citrus and less tropical. So yeah, I don't know. If the, I don't know if those tropical notes were hiding in the in the skins. I guess we'll have to taste what the uh, what the more conventional Sauvignon Blanc from Leaning Post in twenty twenty one holds. I think that's kind of the allure of including the skins, right? Is that you there's a little more complexity to the flavor profile doesn't mean it's better or worse it's just different but uh, to andre's point uh richard would you um on a on a normal day when you're not you know wanting to beat the hell out of your tongue uh would you prefer uh, a a straight on sauvignon blanc or would you more gravitate towards one of these skin fermented wines Ooh, and yeah, and you have to choose one and you have to choose one this is not one where one. you can, I got both you can love everyone you, and i'm saying boom which one you taking? Um, I guess it really depends on. I unfortunately haven't tried the Leaning Post Sauvignon. That's uh, not. It's really good. good. I'm going to tell you that. I so. imagine it is because everything I've had from them is amazing. So I can only imagine that one is also. Uh, so I guess like, I mean, what are we talking here? <laughs> on a on a normal day, like Sancerre or uh, no? It's just a, it's a it's a normal everyday. You're wandering into my house or into Andre's house, and I say, "Look, uh, I'm only opening one of these bottles. Uh, it's the 2020 Skin Fermented Leaning Post Sauve Blanc, or the 2020 Regular Sauve Blanc. Which one does Richard go? You know what? I think I'm gonna take the risk on the Skin Fermented. Really? Well, you're yeah. drinking alone." <laughs> <laughs> That's that's why I picked it more for me. I, I guess I guess I'm realizing now that it, it's really an, an an unfair question that we're doing, and we're sort of in a back doorway trying to put 
the style on on trial because there's so many other things what's the temperature outside what are we cooking what's you know what's no, going you know on what, in Andre, the world the, what's your I, mood I, 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 uh, so far and, and i'm i'm totally in your camp and have been on this one I mean, you we yeah but that's rarely... you but that's you and that's me that's not richard richard's palate's different right but what i'm saying is i can never have that second glass yeah i can never and i have not found and richard obviously is lucky he has found his skin fermented wine or more than one obviously but uh I have not found that one that makes me go, wow, that's that's why this style exists. I, I, I am like, usually in the camp of, wow, why does this style exist? <laughs> but I mean, that's exactly why Richard's here. So let's move on to the, the second wine that we got. Um, I was actually really excited when you handed this to me, Richard, um, while being skeptical of how much I would enjoy it. But uh, the Therianthropy wines are on like every... Almost every cool bottle shop's wine list somewhere in the city. And I think my only complaint about these wines is they are a little on the pricey side. Like, I haven't found one. I have another complaint, but I have to ask Richard if this is true still. <laughs> well, uh, we'll, Richard, get, we'll get to that in a second. Let me finish in introducing the wine. It was the Theranthropy Mouflon Viognier Skin Fermented White, which is 48% Viognier, 27% Chardonnay, 25% Marsan. It's a VQA St. David's Bench, so all the fruit came from a Bach. It looks like, or I'm looking at the text sheet, it looks like it all came from the Bach Vineyard and St. David's Bench. And it's a very detailed, nerdy text sheet. Richard, I appreciate you sending that along. But, like, it is it is very, includes a lot of really nerdy information. They have great text sheets. They really do. So my, my, my question to Richard is, what was the closure on the bottle? Was it an actual cork or was it a plastic cork? Uh, I believe it's uh, like a composite cork. Composite or or or, uh, or synthetic? Sorry, it's it's the sugarcane corks. I don't know if that's true. If it's sugarcane cork, Andre, because I'm not willing to go on the. On oh, the, there we on go. The, uh, like... clo- closure type: recyclable and renewable plant-based composite. Okay, so my problem with that is that they uh, they did let me try a cab franc, and they've got, and I thought, wow, this is a nice cab franc. And I think it's going to age really well. But the moment you're throwing composite, you're not helping that wine to age. So their price is, uh, uh, and I sent them an email and I said, please tell me why you're using composite. And they never wrote me back. So uh, these guys are convinced that they are, are putting their wines under the right closure. But they are going to find out that they are sorely mistaken on this. But I'm just, I'm just saying that if these guys decide to listen somebody who has some experience with composite corks get out of the composite cork business your wines especially your cab franc was really good give it a fighting chance to age all right back onto the uh, the whites now i'm done go ahead <laughs> uh yeah i don't want to get... i'm trying to give advice to a winery who's who's new and and is uh, you know uh, everybody's drinking the Kool-Aid of this winery, but you're going to put stuff in your cellar and five years later, you're going to go, why did I spend $60 on this when it's garbage? And it's going to be because of the closure. And I'm warning them now, don't do that to yourself. Don't make people mad at you in five years. All right. Macedre let's... took my advice and their wines age much better under, under regular cork now. I mean, I can't speak for them or their philosophy or approach to it, but I mean, maybe they're just, Going with the consumer trend that people drink their wine within the same day they buy it, right? That's could could be, and, and, and you know, yeah, if that's if that's the case. But that's 
uh, that's sad for anybody who is going to spend that kind of money on a on a wine to to age. But because I I, thought, I also you know, don't know if have a, have a chance. I don't know if 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 like you're also making the assumption that composite corks that the technology hasn't evolved since the plastic corks and the composite that you've had to deal with in the past. All right, Andre, then I would like you to go out and buy a $60 bottle of wine under a composite cork, and I want you to hold it for seven years. And if you can prove to me that, yes, it's a great bottle of wine in that seven years, I will take everything I've said back. But are you willing to take that chance knowing what I know about composite corks? Well, it would depend on the wine. I mean, I haven't tasted any of the Therianthropy wines. If they were that good, yes, I would I would take that chance. I would take that chance, okay. having had a chance to feel the cork and uh, and and see it. It's not a plastic cork, Michael. Okay. So, Richard, I have no faith. I have no faith in those corks whatsoever. I know you don't. So go ahead. Uh, Richard. Okay. So, what made you pick this wine that you tracked down for us? Other than I'm guessing that you really like it. Yeah, I'm just honestly really excited about what they're doing. So that's why I picked. It. I just thought it was a good representation of what's going on with orange wine. Uh, I probably would have tried to get my hands on something from Trail Estate as well. Uh, Leading post, we talked about the clockwork. Um, that one's also a fantastic orange wine. But uh, yeah, I just I, I just think that what they're doing at Therianthropy is really interesting. Um, definitely one of the, I don't know, the producers that I've got my eye on in terms of uh, Ontario. Um, they're located in Creamore, but obviously all their fruit comes from uh, Niagara. Yeah. And from some of the, the nice vineyards, I'd say. Uh, well, I'll tell you what. How about we let you go go first in giving us a um, giving us a tasting note on this, so we can start on a high note. Because I have a feeling that we know what Michael's going to say about this wine. I'm going to go last this time because I want to hear Andre lie his ass off. <laughs> well, I find the interesting thing is like you, you in a lot of orange wines, you're going to get orange notes, uh, whether it's like tangerine or clementine or even bergamot. Um, I think you, this one specifically, you can get that that hint of bergamot in it. I, I know when you're talking citrus too. Like I think, I think for me, it just my head goes to to pith, right? Like it's very, very pithy. Um, and I, I I didn't enjoy the the therianthropy. I I found that the the bitter note was pretty. It hit the back palate pretty hard. Um, and yeah, it was, it was, it was tough. It was a, it was a tough drink. So uh, I'll, I'll agree with Richard on the, on the smell. I saw him uh, because I do have him on camera here. I can see him uh, putting his nose in the glass and he was talking about those orange notes. I actually smelled orange crush and I was like, hmm, maybe this could turn into something good. And then I got it on my palate and it was terrible and bitter and fruitless with a finish that was just all pith, all citrus pith. It was like I had, I had bit into um, uh, an orange, and I I bit right through the skin, and was just left with all that pithy, you know, grapefruit. You know, sometimes you get those really thick skin grapefruits, and you dig a little bit too deep, and you get that, and it's and, and suddenly I've got it all over my mouth, and I just could not. I I couldn't spit it out fast enough. <laughs> Uh, I think I think the only thing that I, I did I, I will acknowledge to it is there were like I, I did get the white flower notes in the glass after some intense agitation and 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 smelling be like okay it, it at least it smells like Viognier 
but yeah, it um, it didn't it didn't get me any closer to to under to understanding understanding the real appeal of this. It's another one where it came down to. Uh, I'd rather just have regular Viognier, especially from St. David's Bench, which or Chardonnay or Marsan. You know what I mean? Like, I I I think the blending of orange wine doesn't make sense to me. That, that that's another thing that that you know what you blend for is to compensate for something else's uh, shortcomings. Um, why they decided that this had to be blended? Why not try to do a single Viognier or a single Marsan? or a single Chardonnay, why they insisted on blending. Uh, I just, because I could not pick out one particular fruit. It was just a muddle and a mess. And I just, you know, as I said, I, I did get the orange crush. So I was like, okay, I'm ready for this. And it, it just never delivered anything that I wanted to drink. And it just hurt. <laughs> and I did. Sw- I Andre. I did swallow a few. I, I have to be honest. I, I think. Did. I think. I find it entertaining that that that's the one that you you swallowed over the leaning post. Like when I because when I was saying no, no, the leaning- I swallowed the leaning post as well. I swallowed everything. Because <laughs> I, I thought for yeah, sure. Yeah. I thought for sure tasting. I, I I actually thought for sure tasting the wines like at least with the leaning post because it it, it did feel a little softer. I, I thought if there was anything that would help me understand understand the style, it was going to be going to be that wine. And then the second one, the therianthropy just can just confused me further. Um, Correct. <laughs> I, I yeah, guess I have overplayed my hand there a bit. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I mean you came in you came in as a listener to the podcast so you, you knew exactly what it was that you were you were signing up for here. Yeah, absolutely. Um is there and any we appreciate it, Richard. Like I you know, I'm teasing the heck out of you here and obviously I, I i know you really hate your palate but i really you know uh, uh, really appreciate you you know bringing this kind of information to us and and trying to uh to convince us that orange wine is the way to go i think the leaning post would probably come closer for me to wanting to try more than the uh theranthropy blah blah, blah whatever theranthropy um, then, then uh, yeah, but then that that wine because that one threw me back into the pool. It threw me back into the deep end of I want nothing to do with this. All right, but uh, here let's let's summarize because the reason the call to action that we put out was to find out who the consumer was for orange wine. So what we've learned from Richard is. He likes wines he's that are he he's likes the only guy I know who <laughs> <laughs> But let me let me let me summarize just to make sure that we we're getting into your head a little bit Richard and this is this is this is just a summary if I'm if I'm describing you as 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 the orange wine drinker is you like com- complexity but not necessarily something that is completely typical of what's printed on the front of the bottle you're 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 ready to open up a bottle of Gewurztraminer and not have it taste like what you might expect Gewurztraminer to taste like is that is that a safe yeah. assumption? Yes, you, you, you probably, you you probably do a lot of drinking and eating where you ask questions after the fact. Like you you just you'll put anything in your mouth to see if you like it. <laughs> now that's a, that's a, don't make don't answer that, Richard. I'll be your lawyer on this one because uh, there's there's a problem with the 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 intrinsic question there. You're making him sound like he goes out and picks up dirt. I'm just trying to make it sound like he's a, he's a he's he's an he's an epicurean. He's a, he's a curious eater and drinker. 
I try, yes. I do. Richard goes out and he licks the manhole cover. That's what you basically <laughs> just said to him. Fair, well, how fair you, enough. You know if uh, the wine note is manhole cover if you don't lick a manhole cover, right? I mean, that's it. Uh, okay, okay. So, I mean, that's... I, I guess I don't know if that puts me put us puts us any closer to understanding the the the, the total appeal to it because I'd like to think I've got a pretty a, a pretty curious way of how I approach eating and drinking and still still just I don't completely get it and I it's not to say that Michael you're not open minded as well but to be fair you're also I would you would consider yourself a picky eater I am a picky eater but I like I like trying all kinds of wine and I have tried. Wines that have corks that have sunk in, that have been open for too long. Uh, I once taught a class where a guy had these little 375s that his father had in his basement for 50 years. They were a Cote de Rhone wine, and he brought in the little, you know, the case of 375s, and we, and he kind of opened them up with the class, and we we were taking the the foil off of it and looking, and half of the corks had fallen in because they, they didn't store them properly. They were all standing straight up for 50 years. So there was just some, some nasty-looking corks, and they were just old wines. And uh, I was like, you know what? we got to try them. We, there's got to be at least one in here that we can try. And we tried a few of them, and they were horrible. But uh, you <laughs> you know, at least I was willing them. to give it a shot anyway. So I, when it comes to wine, I am not opposed to trying anything. Um, but I... I you know, I, I, I have my, my judgments about them. Do you feel like you're any closer, Michael, to understanding the orange wine consumer after our conversation with Richard? Not at all. Okay. We're on the same page with that. Sorry, Richard. Sorry. Yeah, I think I've just added more fuel to your fire. I think you have to. <laughs> I appreciate you. I do appreciate you coming on the podcast though. And, uh, and subjecting yourself to this. Yeah. Maybe, maybe the winemaker should have been here. Uh, I think he might've had, uh, <laughs> a bit more to say about you know the process and their vision. But yeah, but I don't think I don't think the uh, the process and the vision really uh, explains why the consumer wants to drink this. And that's... like I could tell you you know how I make anything and 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 uh, you know I, I'm sure there's there's things that Andre makes in his kitchen that I would not eat, and there is stuff that I make in my kitchen that Andre would eat, and you know. Well, how about how about this? We can we can go on the other side and, and go ultra conventional. I don't need the winemaker from Yellowtail to be on this podcast to know that I don't enjoy the style of wine that they make, um, even if I know what the vision is for creating, you know, a, a large scale Shiraz from Australia with fifteen grams per liter residual sugar. But I I have to be honest, Andre. I understand that consumer though. Okay, that's that is a, a fair point, and there's probably a larger market for correct for that. Yeah, hundred percent. I do not uh, see Yellowtail making orange wine, even if they change their name to Orange Tail. I highly doubt that as well. Well, so, if anyone from Yellowtail, if anyone from Yellowtail is is listening and they want to go that way, I mean, I guess <laughs> tell us what's going on. Yeah. Oh man, can you imagine? And I'm probably not your average consumer. I'll, I'll admit that. I'm, you know, I'm a little beyond the the yellowtail shelf at uh, LZBO. Yeah, but but even even okay. So taking a look at your at your Instagram, you definitely do have some uh, some more bargain bottles. You've grabbed the El Goru from Spain, which is always 
pretty tasty at, at oh, the price, bottle, yeah. like 13 bucks a bottle. Uh, but I guess, okay, I guess the rest of it, your, your average, your average price per bottle is, is north of 25. Yeah. So when I started it all out, my whole aim was getting those value wines, 25 and under. And, uh, really it shifted a bit with the pandemic and the bottle shops opening up, uh, that just, uh, provided a little more access to those wines that would normally just be at a wine bar, um, or you'd have to buy the case direct from the agent. Um, so because of that, then I kind of focused a lot more on the stuff that I really like to drink, which is those low intervention style wines. Well, there we go. Michael, what do you say? Should we start wrapping it up here? I think it's time. All right, Richard, you, you, you know how we do the sign off. Do you want to sign yourself off before we sign ourselves off? I think you should take the lead on that one. He is He's Richard, Richard Beatty of whatever the heck you're... Wine for that, the people. Uh, wine for the people. Wine spelt, people. spelt wine, wine for, for the, the, people. the people. Check it out on Instagram and uh, see what he's drinking. If you're one of these low interventionist uh, orange wine tree huggers, then uh, you're uh, uh, you're definitely going to want to follow uh, follow Richard. And uh, I'm Andre Pru from underwinereview.ca at underwinereview on social media. And uh, as always, the shout out to patreon.com. We appreciate the support for people who help us keep the podcast on the air. And I'm Michael Pincus of michaelpincuswinereview.com. I would like to thank Richard for coming on and subjecting himself to my nasty comments. <laughs> you can find me on Instagram at the great guy and Michael Pincus Wine Review. Uh, as usual, Good night. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe to Two Guys Talking Wine on iTunes. Two Guys Talking Wine is produced by Jim Ray, Adam Duran, and Ken Little.